Hey there, welcome to the Virtue Podcast. My name is Tiffany Velasquez, and I am so glad that you chose to join us today. We are going through the book of Habakkuk together, and if you hang with us and check in weekly, every Sunday we release a new podcast, and we're going to be going through Habakkuk, Haggai, and Malachi together. If you're anything like me, uh, you may have not spent a whole lot of time in these books, but we're going to do it and we're going to do it together. I am very anxious and expectant as I've been diving in. Already, it's so evident that this book is so relatable to where we are in our world and our culture today. Habakkuk, uh, he was a prophet who lived during the final decades of Israel's southern kingdom. And at this time, Israel was living in a time of idolatry and injustice. And in order to help correct or redirect Israel, God had chosen this unprecedented or unexpected method to get Israel's attention. What he was going to do is he was going to allow the Babylonians, who were definitely their enemies, to take Israel into captivity for a time. I think this is what Pastor Greg refers to as a correcting storm. This was not going to be enjoyable or easy in any way for Israel. But Habakkuk was really wrestling with the fact that God's chosen people were going to suffer at the hands of their enemies who were even more wicked than they were. And what he did in this book is he took these concerns directly to the Lord. And this is unique because other prophets in scripture went directly to Israel with their accusations about the way that they weren't following the Lord. But Habakkuk didn't even address Israel directly. He went straight to the Lord with his concerns. And as God always does, he responded. And in this response, it was a message of command, but it was also a message of hope. His response to Habakkuk's real questions were a reminder and a reassurance of his character and his plan and his faithfulness to his word. And in that response, before he laid it all out to Habakkuk, he told him, Habakkuk, I want you to write this down and I want you to make it plain. And then I want you to take it and I want you to proclaim or herald this message around. Essentially, he was saying, Habakkuk, document what I tell you and what is going on right now because I want to use it. And he did use it, and he is still using it all these years later. You know, there's so much significant history in this book. But today, I want to narrow in, while I have you for just a few moments, on Habakkuk's personal struggle to believe that God is good, that God is good in nature, even though that there's so much evil and pain and suffering all around him at this time. So basically, Habakkuk had these two complaints. The first was that life in Israel right now is horrible. They have neglected the Torah, which was the scriptures, and there's injustice and idolatry, unjust economics, there was slave labor going on, there was irresponsibility and lewd leadership. Your people, he says, are worshiping idols. And as I hear Habakkuk kind of lay out those things before the Lord, it makes me realize that those concerns were not just unique to that time, right? We are also in our world, in our culture, struggling with those very same things. His second concern was, how can you, God, I know you are a holy God, how can you use this sinful nation of Babylon to accomplish your purposes? And before we move forward on Habakkuk's questions and also God's response, I think it's just an important thing to note that God was not going to 
obliterate or annihilate the nation of Israel in its entirety. You know, God had made promises to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob. He made promises to Moses and to Joshua and David, and he promised that he would never let the nation of Israel perish, and he would be and he has been true to his word in that. And God is still, to this day, not through with Israel. He has an eternal purpose with them, as he also has with us as believers. He said, they shall surely not die. So back to this personal struggle that Habakkuk was having. Why, God, are you permitting or allowing this evil to take place? And I think that's a question that we can also be asking. God, why are you allowing hardship and evil and suffering? Essentially, he was asking, God, I trust you, I do, but why and how? It kind of reminds me of a story that was recorded in the New Testament, a miracle of Jesus or a sign of Jesus. And Jesus was coming upon this man who um, had been blind since birth, and he was going to heal him. And when Jesus and his disciples, who were his friends, approached this man, the first question the disciples asked Jesus was, why is this man suffering? Was it because of his sin or the sin of his parents? And both of these questions are recorded for us in scripture of the why were asked by men who followed God. They knew God. They were believers, but they were asking an honest question of the Lord. Habakkuk was a prophet. He was chosen by God to be used by God. He knew the living God, and yet he still had questions. The disciples in that story of, of the blind man They were Jesus's friends. They were his followers. And yet still, they had the question of why. And I think some of us, even though we're believers, we may be asking that same question today. In fact, by the time that we're adults, oftentimes even before, we've already wrestled with some of the deepest issues that bring about the greatest tension in our lives. You know, one of the things that I've discovered is that almost every person I've ever met The question they would want to ask God if they could ask him any question is, why do you allow evil and suffering to exist? And so many of you right now are experiencing or have experienced to some degree hardship or even suffering. I don't know what that looks like for you, but maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe your marriage is in trouble. Maybe you're experiencing a serious health concern yourself or in the life of someone you love. Or maybe it's heartbreak or loneliness, financial hardship, or just looking at this world and seeing injustice, whatever that is. And in our human nature, we have a tendency to want to know why. Like Habakkuk, we want to know why and we want to know how long. We want to better understand. But I wonder if knowing the entirety of our why would help. Would it make things easier? Would it change things for us? Maybe, but maybe not. What I do know is one of my favorite scriptures of all time is 1 Corinthians 13, 12, and it says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. For now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. Have you ever looked in a mirror in dim lighting and thought, okay, this will work. I look fine. And then you go outside and you look in your car mirror in the bright light and you think, whoa, how did I miss that? It's so much clearer now in this bright light. Well, one day we're going to look back and we will know and we will have a clear perspective and we will see all of it. We will see the truth in Isaiah 55 when God says, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. 
For now, this side of heaven, what we do know is that sin in general is the source of all human suffering, right? That is one way to answer the why. And that's a very theological and important point. All evil, injustice, suffering, sin, brokenness, disabilities, all human limitation, they're all a result of sin. We know that because in Genesis in 2.17, God said to Adam and Eve, he said, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in that day you eat of it, you shall surely die. So prior to Adam and Eve even eating of that tree, God's original plan was that our world and our bodies would never get sick that they would never deteriorate or die. There would be no evil or injustice. The original plan had none of that. But because of sin in the garden, sin came into our life and it spread to all of humanity and it now impacts us on every level. I have a 10-year-old daughter and her name is Paisley. And a few years ago, she was really sick and unfortunately had to miss something that we were all really looking forward to. And as I was tucking her into bed and praying with her, she was just saying through these tears, Mom, I'm just so mad at Adam and Eve. And I laughed for a minute. I mean, her theology was correct in some ways, right? But what if we asked a different question than what Habakkuk was asking and that the disciples were asking? Maybe we could turn that question around and say, can your hardship or suffering be used to bring about greater good in your life? You know, not one of us likes to see injustice on any level. We don't like to see suffering or experience suffering. Not one of us. That's unanimous. But it's also inevitable, this side of heaven. It's unavoidable. So can he, will he use it to bring about something really great from it? That's a good question. You know, scripture, the Bible tells us it can. It says yes. I think of uh, Joseph sold into slavery uh, when he was young in such an unjust way by the people that were supposed to love him most, his, his family, his brothers. And Joseph said, you know, his sufferings, his physical, mental, and emotional agonies had been allowed by God so that he could fulfill God's plan to save many lives. In Genesis 50, 20, Joseph said himself, but as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring to pass as it is this day to save many people alive. I think of Moses facing plagues and Pharaoh's army and traveling through the wilderness with the stubborn people that he was traveling with. Moses had all sorts of struggles that would have probably made any leader give up. But despite his struggles, Moses went ahead and he persevered and he believed in God. And God was able to use Moses to bring Israel out of exile. I think of people today in our day, like Joni Erickson Tata, who had a very serious diving accident at the age of 17, which left her a quadriplegic in a wheelchair. After years of struggling through depression and rehabilitation, she was determined to carry out this lifelong ministry, calling, and passion to share the hope of Jesus to those who had been also living with a disability and to their families. I think of our very own Pastor Greg and his wife Kathy. After the devastating loss of their oldest son Christopher, they have pushed through to make the very most of their pain by pointing people to the gospel and the message of salvation, faithfully pastoring our church, Harvest Church, for 50 years and still going strong. Kathy mentioned last week in detail our friends and family in Maui. 
and how right now they're facing complete and utter devastation from that fire that ran rampant through their community. And you know what? In the midst of their loss, they are meeting needs and they are sharing hope and they are allowing God to use their pain. So how can he use it? How can he use it in our lives with whatever it is that we're experiencing? Well, here are just three things that suffering of any kind to any degree can bring about in our life. The first thing is equipping, right? Suffering or hardship equips us to minister to those who are also suffering. You have to join the club to be able to speak to those who are in pain. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 1 that God is the God of all comfort, Right, God is the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our trouble so that we can be a comfort to those who are in any trouble with the same comfort that we have been comforted with. That's that experiential comfort, that comfort that looks you in the face and says, I know I've been there and it's going to be okay. So God is at work in us. He's comforting us. He's teaching us. And as we're learning how to navigate and steward our pain, we're now equipped to minister and comfort and encourage to an even greater capacity. Secondly, our hardship or our pain strengthens us, or it can strengthen us, I should say. What? You might be thinking, I feel the very opposite of strengthened right now. In fact, I feel pretty weary. You know, James said in the book of James to consider it all joy when we face these trials. And it's true. Most of us don't really do that, right? That's not our first out of the chute. As soon as our pain or hardship comes across, we say, oh, praise God. He's going to do something wonderful in my life. That's usually not our first response. But James said we ought to at some point count it all joy when we go through various trials because Those trials produce in us patience and perseverance. When I was working at CBU, uh, California Baptist University, in the admissions office, I was sitting at my desk one day in my cubicle, and I received a call from my dad that I needed to come home as soon as I could because my parents needed to tell my sister and I something. Um, And that day before I left, the office staff prayed for me. I went home and found out that my mom had been diagnosed with leukemia. And I was heartbroken, but I also knew that I needed to be strong, that I couldn't do anything apart from the Lord. And so I was so dependent on him. I had nothing. I was weak, but I still needed to be present and I needed to be prayerful and helpful. So I leaned into him to comfort me and strengthen me. And the scripture says that his strength is made perfect in our weakness. So he said to me, Tiffany, you are weak and that's okay because I'm going to be strong on your behalf. I am really good at taking somebody who's not strong, who is totally weak and enabling them as an act of my grace. It's my strength instead of yours. And so in that, my inward man was being strengthened by God. And thirdly, there can also be this element of correcting in our pain. And this is what God was doing here in the story of Habakkuk. Interesting, right? You know, as a parent, there are times when I have to discipline my kids. I have to take the comfort out of whatever it is that they're doing wrong. And that can be uncomfortable and painful. But that temporary discomfort at that stage in their life where they're at right now is prayerfully what will keep them from doing that wrong thing, whatever it was, again. You know, we become the men and women that we are today in part because of the discipline or lack thereof that we all had from our parents. David said in Psalm 119, he said, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. 
That's Psalm 119. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. I love what C.S. Lewis, who put things so well and had such great insight, I love what he said. He said, pain plants the flag of truth in the fortress of a rebel soul. Isn't that so good? Pain plants the flag of truth in the fortress of a rebel soul. So it can correct us. God can use these hardships to get our attention and to redirect us and put us on the right path. So God can do all of that in our pain and in our hardship. The bottom line here is that, ladies, God is not going to waste a single thing in your life. He does not waste even our pain. In fact, when we're in the darkest times of our life, that can be the time when the presence of God is so enhanced because in our darkness, we have this pathway to him because he is all we have. We cannot have all the answers to all of our whys. We cannot explain away all of our pain, but we do know that God wants to do something glorious in it. He wants to do something bigger in your situation. Whatever it is, think about it. The living God who loves you so much wants to release his glory in and through your life. Now, I don't want to sit here and give you these seemingly pat answers while you're in the midst of some hardship or tragedy or suffering because the truth is you may not see it yet. In fact, it may not even be something that you can see at first glance when it does start to present itself. It may be that growth of the inward man. It may be through that whatever you're going through, you are becoming more like Jesus. And let me tell you, that is something to find joy in. So look for it. Allow him to move in it. Ask God, God, I don't know what it is that you're doing. I don't know why. In fact, I don't like it. But if you can use it, here I am. Don't waste it, Lord. That's a prayer that we can pray before the Lord. And it's an honest prayer. You know what I love about Habakkuk is that he knew that he could go to the Lord with his questions and even his cries, and he did. What Habakkuk was doing here is he was lamenting before the Lord. And that word is a lament that's a a biblical term to express deep regret or grief or sorrow. And we can lament to the Lord through our words and our actions. It's actually a common theme in the Bible. In fact, the Old Testament book of Lamentations is written after that very action. The Bible records several reasons why people lament. If we have questions, it's okay to ask the Lord. We don't have to phrase it in this way that sounds so pious and religious either. We can move forward in trusting him even with our questions. It's not a sin to question him. You may not get the answer that you want or that you understand or even that you like, but that's what Habakkuk did. And guess what? Just like he always does, like I said, he answered. You know, my family, we have three little ones, and we're always praying together as a family in the car, in the home, wherever we are. And I always say, who wants to pray? And my three-year-old, Dylan, she loves to pray. And she's pretty articulate with her prayers. It's cute. But after every prayer, I tell her, Thank you, Dylan. God heard that prayer. And then I ask her, Dylan, who heard you? And she responds and she says, God heard me. And I do that because I want to remind her who she's praying to. She's not praying for us. I'm. She may be praying for us, but she's not praying to us, but she's praying to him. And there is purpose in her prayer. And that is to talk to Jesus. He hears us. He is listening. In chapter 2, after Habakkuk cries out to the Lord, he then says in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, Okay, 
I told you my heart. I poured out my heart to you. And now I'm going to stand here and watch and wait because I know that God is going to respond. I just know it. That can sometimes be the hard part, right? The waiting and God does respond. And chapter two is pretty heavy. There are these five woes mentioned within this chapter that spelt out those difficult time for Habakkuk's generation and even more so for the days leading up to even now the return of Christ. Habakkuk had previously thought that God was maybe being inactive, right? That he was blind to the sins that were being committed all around him. And he was wrong in that. And God told him that. God responded in that. And in laying out these five woes, God outlined the specific reasons for the coming judgment of both Israel and Babylon. And as we have seen, these reasons apply just as well for the world today as they did 2,500 years ago. He was not only telling Habakkuk, hey, tell them that I'm going to judge Israel, but I am also going to judge Babylon. Don't let them think that they're going to get away with this. I am a just God. I am a holy God, and I am a faithful God. That is my character. As the days ahead get darker, the key verse in our day, the key verse in this chapter is going to become all the more important, and that's verse 4. In uh, chapter 2, it says, the righteous shall live by faith. And this scripture right here is repeated all multiple times throughout the New Testament. It's so critical that we as believers have a close walk with the Lord and we know that we can trust him and we live and walk out our faith. And as always, our hope is in him and our hope is in his return. Uh, Luke 21, 28 says, when these things begin to take place, look up, straighten your heads Lift up your eyes because your redemption is drawing near. Also in 1 Thessalonians 1.10, it says, Wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. You know, God is going to come and he is going to bring justice and he is going to make sense of all of it. And his victory over it all will also be our victory. And then moving down to verse 14, God says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. And what he's telling Habakkuk here is, Trust me, one day and one day very soon, this whole earth, all that you see, all that you hear of, are going to be filled with my glory. I'm going to return and I'm going to rule and I'm going to reign and it is going to be glorious, Habakkuk. You have to wait, you have to endure it, but it will be worth it. And you are not alone, right? We are not alone, even though we look around this world and we do see, like Habakkuk, idolatry and injustice. We are not alone. He has given us so much. He tells us that he has equipped us. It's a prophetic word to when Christ is going to come and he's going to dwell among us. And we have a glimpse of that now. He is always with us right now, right? We have him. We have his spirit with us. We have his word. But then when Christ comes back, we're going to experience to the purest of capacities and there will be no opposing force to be reckoned with at that time. In the meantime, and in closing, I have two questions I want to leave you with today. Number one is, are you willing, are you willing to allow God to use your hardship, your pain for something meaningful or something purposeful? And the second question is, do you trust in the very character of God? 
we know that he is all-knowing, right? He is omniscient. We know that he is omnipresent means that he's everywhere. He is everywhere at once. And he is omnipotent, which means that he is all-powerful. He is also sovereign and holy and absolutely truthful. And he is righteous and just. And there are other attributes of God as well, so many. And as we look at him and as we consider who he is, they give us a better picture of who we can be confident in. We know that he will defeat evil once and for all. We know that he is going to bring about justice to all people. And that's what he was telling Habakkuk here, that he will rescue the oppressed and the innocent and that he loves this world even more than we do. And we can trust him in that. So I want to pray today that as the message that God responded to Habakkuk with will also be a comfort and a message of hope to us. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, come before you now. And Lord, we know that you are in control. God, we know that you are all powerful and you are righteous and you are just and you are a personal God. And so, Lord, we know that that the questions that we have and the pain and the hardships that we're experiencing, Lord, they are safest in your hands. And so we commit them to you now. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen every woman who is listening to this podcast now, that you would meet her in her very need. And Lord, that you would give her purpose in all that she is going through. Lord, we trust you. We love you. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.